Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. Always excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you here. And well, folks, wouldn't you know it, as we all predicted, the Colorado Rockies go to California to San Francisco and beat the Giants in a three-game set, two to one. Well, we all had it on our bingo cards, right? Look, of course, it's just one series. They were bound to have a couple of these, uh, but what does it mean? I don't know. Let's dive into it. Let's see if they can keep playing good baseball here on the road. But I figured to wrap up the series, I would just go ahead and go chronologically through each game, talk about the story and observations from each one. Beginning with the 5-3 to three victory on Tuesday, thank you, Charlie Blackman. Now, that one comes down to more or less, right, the Charlie Blackman splash three-run home run there in the sixth inning. Really, really cool to see all that stuff. I'm sure most of you have heard by now, but it was, of course, on the 11th anniversary of Charlie Blackman's Major League debut, and it was the 200th career home run. And while, you know, this was an interesting conversation that broke out a little bit about whether or not Charlie Blackman is a Hall of Famer, and look, he doesn't have the the numbers for all of that stuff. I, I did see somebody whose show I've been on a couple of times and who's been on my show a couple of times, a good friend, Manny Rondawa, say out there uh, that he just doesn't think that Charlie Blackman is like one of those guys that you have to mention his name in order to tell the the story of this era. And on that, I would actually disagree. I don't think that Charlie Blackman is statistically a Hall of Famer. Look, there's just certain things that, that to begin the conversation... And it's not even just, you know, home runs and and hits and RBI and war, but there is kind of a baseline of a combination of those things you need. And Charlie's not on that level, right? There are a lot of guys who've done a lot more of measurable production who are not in the Hall of Fame. But I do think, you know, part of that has to do with the fact that Charlie didn't really become a big-time player until he was like 27 years old, and he didn't debut until later. He had some injuries and some delays, and he wasn't this huge prospect, so, you know, he wasn't rushed to the big leagues, and in a lot of ways, his career has been a surprise to just about everybody, and so, you know, no, he's he's not a legitimate Hall of Famer, but I do think he's one of the most iconic ball players of the last 15 years or so. And I know that the television broadcasts that are awfully homerific about the Rockies, as well they should be, and, and the radio broadcasts as well, you know, will oftentimes present those statistics that are true. You know, well, they'll say things like only two players in the last decade have X number of hits, home runs, RBI, and a batting average of whatever. And it's always Charlie Blackman and Mike Trout, right? And they know that they're not claiming that He's the Charlie Blackman is just as good as Mike Trout. But again, I do think if you're really just looking at the game of baseball and things that are produced, hits, homers, ribbies, a couple of all-star appearances, those types of things, I do think that Charlie Blackman is one of those guys. But for me, the big one is the fact that he had in 2018, uh, I'm sorry, 17, the arguably the greatest leadoff hitting season of all time. The guy holds multiple major league records. It's a 150-year-old league. And Charlie Blackman put up the best leadoff season of all time. 
that in and of itself makes him one of the iconic players of this age. I do think he'll be one of those guys that is a weird way to phrase it, but right, you know, everyone knows I'm a gamer or whatever. So MLB the show 10 years from now and Charlie Blackman is well retired. You know, there will be versions of him and, and he will be seen. Of course, he's an all time Rocky. He's a top five Rocky already. The question is whether or not he's going to be, you know, a top three, top four. He's, he's never going to catch Todd Helton, you know. So then the question just becomes, and he's not as talented as Arenado, Walker, or even probably Carlos Gonzalez. Actually, I should take the pretty At his peak, Cargo was the much more talented player. But Charlie has been more consistent. He's grinded through. He's been healthier throughout his career. He's, you know, they're roughly the same age. And Cargo's been out for a while now. And Charlie's still contributing to his ball club, right? So while he hasn't had a monster season, and while he had an error in the game they lost in in this series that was really, really frustrating to watch, and and the defense, you know, a lot of us, I'm preaching in the choir here, I know, we all want him more at DH, and that's just a universal feeling, I think, now around the Rockies. But you still have to, as somebody, especially if you've rooted for this team, if you've studied this team, if you care about their history and traditions, really appreciate a guy like Charlie Blackman, who's always wanted to be here, who's always took pride in being a Rocky when other guys wanted to get out as fast as they could, when other guys are sending video of themselves to other teams and the media is covering for them and saying, of course, because who who worked their salt? What decent, self-respecting major league ball player would even want to play for this franchise and charlie blackman would go out on regular occasions and say i would and i do and i think this organization treats people right and you know i think we can figure out a way to win here but i think it's challenging and i think there are things he's been very open about the hangover effect and the effects of altitude on the body and trying to come up with ways even to solve that he's almost already kind of a player coach Right, And uh, a lot of the young guys have started to adapt a a lot of Charlie's mentality when it comes to how he takes care of his body and all the things he does to make sure that he's in the best possible health to go out there and compete and be able to do things like deliver a baseball game in San Francisco by getting a splash shot into the bay, something we very rarely see the Rockies do. Again, it it was another all-time Rocky. Carlos Gonzalez was the last one to do it. So really, really, really cool moment there from Charlie Blackman. And I do think it's important that Rockies fans stand up and, you know, support that, yes, he's an all-time Rocky, but yes, he was for a shorter time than players like, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. or Mike Trout or even Larry Walker and Todd Helton. But for a period of time there, especially really from like 17 to 20, right? A little bit in 16 as well. He'd had moments before that. Y'all remember when he batted 400 in April, years before and all of that. But really for a minute there, he was one of the best players, one of the best all-around players in all of baseball. And of course, like everyone else who's come through here, that's been put into a weird sort of funhouse mirror where you know a lot of those stats that again like I said the the Mike Trout stats when they compare them to and yes the raw number of base hits and the batting average are aided by Coors Field but Charlie Blackman is not the only player who has played at Coors Field over the last 10 years 
right? He's he's the only one who has played there over the last 10 years who fits in that category with Mike Trout. He's the only one who's produced all those hits and all those ribbies and all those runs and all those games played and and so on and so forth. You know, is he, again, no, I've already said he's not one of those all-time, all-time greats. But it's interesting because he was close. He was really, really close to being one of those guys. And maybe if he had debuted younger, uh, he, he could have really willed himself into a Hall of Fame career. Because the absolute raw athleticism and talent wasn't there. But his mind for the game and his drive and his dedication to getting better every single day is something that every baseball player should emulate and something which is why the the Colorado Rockies should basically do everything they can to keep Charlie as a part of the organization in perpetuity forever. You know, they need him around and uh, he should become a coach the second he retires, or in the front office, whatever he wants, basically. I mean, you can't hand him the keys to the organization, but you get get the idea. So uh, that actually gets paired with uh, the other story of that game. Armand Marquez comes out, gives up three runs in the first inning, including a two-run jacked Flores, and really looked like, oh no, here we go again with Marquis. But then something happened, ladies and gentlemen. It clicked. He found himself, and this wasn't just totally random either. Remember, I've been talking about there's a million little bits of nuance to what's going on with Marquez from what's happening inside of his head, little ticks with his delivery, the game plan that's being come up with by the coaches. All of that stuff is a factor. But at the end of the day, if you miss your spot by six, seven, eight inches, none of the rest of that stuff matters. And what happened after the first inning in San Francisco was he just started hitting his spots. It seemed like he just surrendered to whatever was going on and stopped thinking about the game or the batter or the thing. And, you know, a lot of pitchers will say this, but he just started playing catch with the catcher. Don't shake him off. Don't do any of that stuff. A guy puts down a sign. Now try to hit the zone. Stop thinking about everything else. Let the catcher call the game. If he says fastball outside, you look outside and you throw the best fastball that you can. And it just felt to me, and again, watching the game, it he hit it, started hitting his spots. And no, he wasn't perfect after that by any means. But he goes six innings, only gives up those three earned runs, the four walks you don't like, but the seven strikeouts because he was hitting his spots. Now all of a sudden those weapons matter. You know, I've seen a lot of conversation about Marquez and some people running some really phenomenal numbers about how he needs to throw his curveball more, which is both true, and I think I've addressed this before on this show, but it's true, but it also misunderstands a lot of the nuance of how you have to approach pitching. You can only throw your fantastic knuckle curveball if your other stuff is working. You can't throw that pitch all the time. One, guys will adjust to it. And two, it needs to be set up a little bit by stuff that comes in a little harder, a little straighter. And that's been the problem. Uh, you need strike one. You've got to get strike one. Typically with a fastball, not always, but he hasn't been able to throw the breaking stuff for strikes. And the fastball's been all over the place. But he started hitting his spots. He started getting strike one. And now when you've got a one-two count, now you can throw that curveball just off the outside or just below the zone or even in the dirt and get guys swinging at it and get your swings and misses because you've set them up. But a 2-0 knuckle curveball just isn't a, a good pitch for Marquez. And so, and at least it hasn't been this year. So he finally started hitting his spots, got himself a quality start. As I wrote about today on milehighsports.com, you can go check that one out. 
the quality start, I think, is going to be the key statistic for the Colorado Rockies this season. If they can turn this thing around at all, it's just what they need. You know, would you like to see more than that from their better players, especially against certain teams? Sure, but if their starter can go six and three, six innings, give up three runs or less, I think the Rockies more often than not, not always, as we saw in the next one, not always going to win those games. Sometimes the other guy's going to have a phenomenal game as well. But not only that, because, and you can see the formula showed up again. In game two, even though they lost in extras, Sensatella goes six, gives up one earned run, six strikeouts, just the one walk, much better peripherals. Love to see that bounce back. Sensatella had an ugly one his first day off the IL. Can almost wash that one away because of it. We know he has the tendency to do that. But again, if Sensatella can lock it in and give you quality starts on the road against a team this good, that is huge. The more they do that, the more they can turn this thing around. And then you hand it to the plus side guys, the few members of your bullpen who are actually going. Colin McKinley and Bard, shut it down. Unfortunately, the Rockies offense couldn't get anything going for them there. Uh, several missed opportunities, but still, it's hard to blame too much on the offense right now when they have been getting their hits, they have been scoring their runs. Um, still, of course, it's the the cruel logic of... Uh, how the season has gone right that even there in the top of the 10th the Rockies weren't able to plate the the California runner and then the Giants were able to come around and do it despite the fact that uh, Carlos Estevez almost worked out of that one and and maybe would have had a, a chance to if Charlie comes up and fields the ball cleanly and right as I alluded to earlier but he drops the baseball final run scores brutal way to lose on a walk-off error uh, and the run was definitely not going to score so you get your double play there you know Rockies could have won the ball game Absolutely, but when you're losing by one in extras against a team this good, that feels a lot different, right, than the non-competitive games they were having against Pittsburgh and Washington. And then you come back in the final game, get a third straight quality start, and you win the series. How about that? You get three straight quality starts, I think you're going to win the series more often than not with this team, with the way the offense is producing and with the way the plus side bullpen guys are producing. We've had this conversation again before. It's the minus side guys you really got to be worried about. But Austin Gomber goes out, six innings pitched, two earned runs again, had to recover from a couple of those runs coming early, like Marquez was able to lock it in, stay mentally strong, not worry about all that or or let things start to snowball out of control based on how the season has gone so far. Six innings, two earned runs, one walk. Again, there's another key number. Keep those walks down. The five strikeouts, more than fine. The one kind of uh, big surprise here was Robert Stevenson finally able to come in, give him uh, a clean inning. He did give up a base hit, uh, but he got a strikeout, didn't give up any runs. He needs to be a thing. As I've talked about several times, they need that fourth reliever. Uh, Estevez has had some real ugly ones as of late, but this was a good one for him where he goes an inning, gets two strikeouts, does not allow a base runner. And then with Bard not available after all the use he's had as of late, they go to Colome for the save. And while he does give up a base hit in there and doesn't get any strikeouts, you know, it's funny, I've got some, um, we've got family in town and uh, we're watching the game and uh, they're going to Colome instead of Bard. And so they asked me, you know, well, what do you think of this? What do you think of him in this spot? And I said, you know, on the one hand, if Bard's not available, I think this is the right guy. Uh, and I, he's got a history of it. You know, great resume. He's closed games. He's not going to be intimidated. He's not going to He's not gonna go out there and beat himself. He also doesn't walk guys very often. He doesn't make a ton of mistakes 
no matter how you you measure mistakes, and even from a pitching standpoint of making a terrible decision on what pitch to throw. I remember one time this year, he threw a four-seam fastball that absolutely perplexed the hell out of me that he chose to throw that pitch. Other than that, his pitch selection is phenomenal. His location is phenomenal, but he doesn't have overwhelming stuff. He doesn't anymore, right? And he doesn't have the type of strikeout stuff that Daniel Bard and Tyler Kinley have. So the one worry about putting him into a, a closing situation in a close game like this, right, in a two-run ball game, is a bloop. Like we saw, a lot of the hits that come against him are cutters that get hit off the end of the bat and bat and bloop into shallow right field or wherever, left field, depending on the handedness of the batter. And then now you're a home run away from a tie ball game, right? And that's exactly where Colome found himself, but he just kept getting his soft contact as he's done all year, uh, even when he's been scored upon. It's been on those turning into rallies, which again, you, you worry about a little bit, but he gets a lot of soft contact and did collecting his third save of the season. And there it is, folks. The first series. Maybe, actually, we saw it, I think, in uh, the very opening set against L.A., uh, and, and maybe some other ones early on, but this is the first one in quite some time where the Rockies won a set with the formula that they clearly set out with in mind before the season started. Get quality starting pitching, not overwhelmingly dominant, not eight innings of shutout baseball, right? We just went over it. Six straight, or six straight, three straight games of six innings pitched and three runs or less given up. But no one was perfect. Nobody gave up zero runs. Nobody struck out 10 guys or more. Right? You don't need all that. Quality start, then hand the ball to Colome Kinley, Bard, sometimes Estevez, maybe hopefully Stevenson works into that, right? And you're still looking for maybe those other guys out of the Gilbreth, Lawrence, whatever crew. Like, there are not a lot of answers there in the bullpen, and I don't think there are a ton more coming. So, again, I think the formula is this the offense is going to do what they're going to do, and they've been pretty consistently good all season there there are times obviously they're frustrating and and look i could get into the weeds on certain approaches on the road and certain individuals who i think need to do a better job in specific situations there's always going to be those topics and we should continue to have them but on the whole if you just look at the average number of runs scored per series the offense is doing their thing right Stop making defensive mistakes. We've talked about that a ton, and there's I, there's not an answer there. Just stop it. Uh, sorry, I just just quit. Uh, quality starting pitching. Hand it over to your plus side guys, and even in a game like the rubber match against San Francisco, one you really want, they didn't have their closer available, but they're still able to get it. That's big. It's a nice big win. Now they've got a four game set here in San Diego. And I made some jokes before they left on this California road trip about how wouldn't it be hilarious if they went and found themselves on a California road trip because that never happens, right? It's almost always the opposite. And again, I wrote about this today, how even the good things that have gone for the Rockies this year haven't really gone according to plan. Everything's been off, right? And maybe this will be part of that. Like they should have beaten Kansas City at home. They should beat everybody at home. They should have been able to take care of business better against the dregs of the league like Pittsburgh and Washington. That's what they did last year when they were a less talented team, but they weren't able to do that in those series. So the other party says, well, they're not supposed to be able to go on the road to California and win sets, right? Like even my prediction of 82 wins before the season was predicated on the idea that they would be terrible on the road and that they would be mostly not good against the Giants and Dodgers. And then they go 
and win a series in giant land. And you got to go, well, all right. Now, if you can split in San Diego, mentally, you can tell yourselves you've recovered and that you can go on a run to get back in this race. It's a mental game. It always has been. And the longness of the season, the 162 games, that's always been a part of it. Is how do you, and, and we talked about this with Brendan Rogers, right? How do you convince yourself, despite all of the evidence to the contrary, that that is not who you are? You know, Brendan Rogers could say, well, I guess I'm the worst hitter in baseball. All the numbers say I'm the worst hitter in baseball. I guess I am, and I should just quit. But he didn't do that. And the Rockies could go through a similar thing right now and say, all the numbers for the last month show we are just a poor baseball team. And maybe the season's over and we should just lay down and just can't even compete anymore. Maybe we'll sell at the deadline, right? You can do that. And there are teams that do. But the way they played in San Francisco made me think, this guy's got a little fight in him. And they understand that in order to flip the dynamic now, they put themselves in a position where because they didn't take care of business early on against some of these more beatable teams and because they haven't established themselves as super dominant at home, that means the pressure is just that much higher. Now you have to win some of these tough road series. You can't go back and say, well, you know, we took one in San Diego out of the four because, you know, hey, we normally are terrible there. We'll take the one. Can't do that anymore. You've put yourselves behind the eight ball. Got to go get two of them in San Diego. Got to start turning this thing around. But they can. You know how. Say it with me all together out there. We've been talking about it all episode. That's right. You guessed it on your very first try. It's the starting pitching. Get those quality starts. Let's see what happens next. But fun set against San Francisco. We'll keep our eyes on all of this stuff. Uh, we'll look to Brendan Rodgers to continue just his absolutely fantastic streak with the bat. Look at him as player of the week. Connor Joe continuing to get on base in 90% of the games. We'll be looking out for the eventual return of Chris Bryant. Uh, whether or not Eligeros Montero, now that he's in the mix here a little bit, whether he's going to have an impact, hasn't done a ton yet. But boy, do I think he's going to be one of those impact type of bats, though, as we've said. Not exactly their biggest problem. <laughs> he hasn't learned to pitch recently, so uh, we'll see what happens. But anyway, really good stuff in San Francisco. Love, love, love watching baseball that is fundamentally sound, where the starting pitching goes out there and does their thing, and who wins the game ends up coming down to who executes in that one big moment. All three games were of that variety. One went San Francisco's way, two went Colorado's way. You keep playing like that, you can save your season. Thank you all for listening out there. I appreciate you all. Make sure that you are following on social media at Drew Creaseman, that you're subscribing to all of the podcasts here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. And of course, you're checking out all the written content at milehighsports.com. I can only ask that otherwise you continue to be absolutely awesome out there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.